think a lot about what I want to say to all of you when, when I do these messages. I really don't want to waste your time or speak to you about things that just don't matter, that don't hit you where you are in life. So I've been thinking about this and I realized this week that I talk a lot about fear during uh, times in worship, more so now and in the past few years than any time before. And I'm aware of that and I think the reason that I talk more about fear today than in the past is not because that there's more of it, but simply because I am more aware of how fear plays a significant role in people's lives. And if we're going to have any chance, any hope of thriving in life, of living a life deeply connected to God and others, well, we have to deal with fear. Now, when I say this, I, I don't think uh, people really know what I'm talking about. I don't think most people would describe themselves as afraid. So, so let me phrase, rephrase this for you just a bit. I grew up with a lot of anxiety, like so much of my generation and my kids' generation. And even though I've worked on my anxiety for a long time, it was not until recently that I understood what anxiety really was. So one of the ways to describe anxiety that has been helpful for me to think about is that anxiety is a fear response to a potential loss, a future loss in the presence of no immediate threat. So to say this in a slightly different way, anxiety is the fear of losing someone or something that you currently love, enjoy, or have. People then have anxiety over money, even though they have enough now, but they're not sure if they will in the future. Something might happen. People have anxiety over climate change, even though, well, the ice caps haven't melted yet, but the possibility of, of dramatic change in the future is very real. People have anxiety related to their parents, kids, or relationships, even though they still have these people in their lives, but they worry, they're anxious about what might happen. Anxiety is a specific kind of fear, and there is a lot of it across every generation. And as I'm becoming more aware of this in people's lives and in my own life, I'm also becoming more aware that the biblical story is right there with us in these matters. The main character in our focus text today, Nicodemus, he is an anxious character. Nicodemus is well positioned in life as a key religious leader, which simply means this, that he has status, he has money, he is an important person in an important position. And he's aware of Jesus and what Jesus has been doing and is curious and interested to know more. He senses that there might be something to what Jesus is teaching, but he has so much to lose. Jesus is not making points uh, with the crowd that he runs with, the other religious leaders. So, that, so people will see him and Jesus together and he's worried about what they might think. It could be bad for his reputation, for his power, for his status. So what does Nicodemus do? He comes to Jesus at night when no one will see him. This is how the story starts. That is an anxious move. That is fear at work. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered, them, answered him, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So I want to take you back to the late 70s and the entire decade of the 80s. It was the time just before the internet when cell phones weighed about 20 pounds and had to be installed in cars. TV, otherwise known as television, was the communication tool of the time. It, in, if the public needed to be informed about anything, it had to come through the TV screen. So those of you who are old enough, do you remember one of the most predominant public service announcements that was out during that time? I remember this when I was a kid. It was the announcement that came on just prior to the evening news, whether that was 9, 10, or 11 p.m. Do you have a guess what I'm talking about? You sit down to watch the news when... It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? As a kid, I always thought this was the stupidest thing, but really it was quite brilliant for the effect that it had on its intended audience, middle to upper middle class parents. Here's what it did. It caught average American parent, just as average American parent was doing what almost every middle to upper middle class average American parent did at that time. Watch the evening news. For average American parent, it could have been a great day. Work went well, your family was doing fine, you could be feeling grateful, just tired, and then you sit down, you take a load off, and, and you want to watch the, the evening news, when all of a sudden, a dark voice says, hey, it's late, do you know where your kids are? And that was all that it took to elicit a fear response, an anxious response in average American parent. Because here's the context for those words. Do you know where your kids are because the world is dangerous and unpredictable. Your kids could have gotten into a car accident. They could have been assaulted on campus, picked up walking home from a friend's house. They could have been doing drugs or having unprotected sex for all you know. Do you really think your infant is upstairs sleeping? Oh, poor, naive parent, think again. She might have stopped breathing five minutes ago. Now that is terrifying, stress-inducing fear-mongering at its core. And it worked beautifully because those fears could happen. Now is the point. 
after watching parents were so anxious that they wanted to check on their young children and called their adult children to make sure that they were okay in order to relieve their anxiety which had been intentionally placed in their lives. <laughs> so now, what do we do? Well, now we just track our kids through GPS and monitor their vitals from a smart wearable device. <laughs> I mean, so much has changed, and yet so much is, is still the same. There is so much fear, so often in the form of anxiety in our life. Generally speaking, fear is not a bad thing. Like most animals, humans evolve with fear as a means of protection. Fear keeps us alert and prepared for danger. Fear is a stressor that gets us ready for action. But here's the question. What if you can never get away from it? What if fear is always in front of you? Doctors can talk about the physiological or the physical effects of fear. Psychologists can talk about the emotional and mental effects of fear. Well, I can talk about the spiritual effects of fear. Let me tell you this, spiritually, chronic fear, or should we just say chronic anxiety, it takes life from us. It moves us out of relationships and turns us inward. Anxiety paralyzes us from action, from creativity, from seeing hope, from having compassion. Anxiety drives us to seek power so that we can control our situation, which too often has negative effects on ourselves, others in our family, or, or those outside of our social group. In short, Excessive fear, excessive anxiety stand in the way of the, kingdom of, of the kingdom of God that Jesus describes. Fear is real. It is a real issue in our lives, and it's not going away. For one, fear is a powerful motivator, and, and that's why the 1970s and 80s TV service announcement used it to elicit a response from parents. Marketers absolutely knew that it would be effective. It's why politicians use it, it's why churches use it, uh, because if I can make you afraid of something or someone, if I can ratchet up the anxiety in your life and provide a solution or relief to that fear and anxiety, well then I have power over you. And I can get just about anything I want from you, including your money, your vote, your, <laughs> your obedience. But secondly, fear will always be with us because life is unpredictable and there will always be something to be afraid of. When you think about the things that make you anxious, which again is the fear of a future loss, what do you think the likelihood uh, is, what do you think the likelihood is that those future fears will come to pass? The answer, well, if I'm being honest with you, is 100%. If I am anxious about my child's well-being, if I am afraid that harm is going to happen in the future to the person that I love the most, well, realistically, what, what is the chance that something traumatic will happen? What is the chance that they will fail at something? That they'll get hurt? What is the likelihood that, that any of this will happen? <laughs> 100% or near 100% because that's life. I know that I'm not going, I know that I'm going to lose my parents. I know that eventually I will lose my mobility and independence and my health. Eventually my money will be gone because either I've spent it all or I died and it was given to my kids. Most things that cause us anxiety are going to happen to us at some point. 
So I do think it's very safe to say that the chronic fear in our life is not going to go away. So the real question becomes then, how are we going to deal with it? Now this is where I am really interested in how Jesus teaches his disciples how to deal with fear. Jesus does, does not tell them, well, just be good boys and girls and you'll be fine because, well, God does not allow bad things to happen to good people. Jesus does not say, have more faith. What's wrong with you? Just stop being afraid. Jesus does not use words like bravery or fortitude or courage when it comes to fear. No, no, none of that. Jesus' response to excessive fear time and again is to practice love, compassion, forgiveness, and grace. Love that is actionable and lived through service is absolutely incompatible with fear. In today's reading, Nicodemus comes to Jesus out of fear and anxiety. That's why he comes at night. And Jesus speaks with him and he teaches him that if he is going to truly know God and be transformed by God, then he needs to know that God so loved the world. God so loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son to enter into the life of those who deal with fear into the life of those who battle with alcohol and addiction. For God so loved the world that God gave his only son to enter into the lives of those who walk beside their terminally ill children, into the lives of those who are made fun of, into the lives of those who are in prison, into the lives of those who are fearful and anxious, into the lives of those who deal with conflict, with family, with neighbors and friends. For God so loved the world that God sent his son for you to teach you about a kind of deep love that gives hope and can offer something that is not readily found in our culture. Peace and reconciliation and understanding and patience and hope. Active love directly confronts the fear and anxiety in our world. Fear, anxiety, it moves us into ourselves, but love moves us to care for others. Fear leads us to mistrust and hate. Love leads us to compassion. Fear draws a hard line in the sand. Love helps us see something bigger. Fear hoards, love shares. Fear takes life, joy, and peace from us. Love brings about the kingdom of God. So, so please though, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God will not remove that which makes you anxious. God will not remove your fear. Rather, it is the way of Jesus, the way of active love, the, the love of God, the love of neighbor that keeps us from being completely overwhelmed by chronic paralyzing fear and allows us to live with hope while acknowledging our anxiety so that we can live the life that God intends for God's good creation. A life living connected to God, living connected to others, practicing the kind of love that first came from God. This is incredible news that we have today. It impacts our life directly as we all at times struggle with this anxiety, this fear of losing something in the future. Thanks be to God for this. Amen.
as a way of taking this story a little bit deeper into your life and applying it directly to you, I have a couple of reflection questions for you to think about, journal about, or talk with somebody about. Question number one, think about those times and moments when you are most anxious. What is causing your anxiety and how prevalent is it? Does anxiety impact your life? Question number two, what are the ways that you practice and live out the kind of love that Jesus embodies and teaches?